Memorial Day has come to being the beginning of summer, a time for picnics and barbecues and a holiday to gather around the family. That happiness and freedom, however, is a product of the real cause for the holiday, the sacrifice made by men and women who have fought and died for the freedoms and liberties Americans hold dear. Memorial Day is a time to remember that the American way of life is not cheap, but rather has been purchased by the lives and blood of so many who have sacrificed for us. Remember those who served before. Remember those who are no more. Remember those who serve today. Remember them all on Memorial Day. And then this poem. We salute each member of our armed forces and are thankful for their efforts and resources. We salute the many who protect our borders too. We'd be in trouble if not for people like you. We salute every son and daughter lost in a war. You are what serving this country is meant for. We salute the officers who've guided our women and men. Our prayers are with you and our love from within. We salute our veterans wherever they may be, those who served on land, air, and sea. Offering prayer to the Lord is our belief that he will God our commander-in-chief. As we observe Memorial Day this year, let's offer our soldiers love, hope, and cheer. May God bless them in all they endeavor, and his peace be with them today and forever. 
May we bow for a moment of silence and remembrance of those who gave their lives for the very reason that we can be here on this day remembering them. Our Lord and our God, into your presence we bow with grateful hearts for those who have come before us and given the ultimate sacrifice so that we can be here today free to worship. We pray, Father, that you will be with them as they continue to stand guard as they continue to go wherever they are called to go. And for those, Father, who went and did not return, we pray for their families and their descendants, that they might know that we are appreciative of the service and sacrifice they made. For, Father, we know that you understand what sacrifice is because you gave your Son to secure our freedom from the bondage of sin. And you have shown us, Father, that as we follow this truth, that this truth will set us free. Thank you for the power of prayer to transform lives, to make a difference in those who are ill, in those who are grieving, in those, Father, who are anxious, Whatever the desires of your people may be, as they come to you, Father, may we offer ourselves to your service, submitting to your will in all that we do and all that we say. We're thankful, Father, for the gift of being together today and for the power of your love to transform us and to set us free. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
Mark, I hate to call people out in church. Would you get me a glass of water? I lost my voice in the first service, and I've sung and talked and all that stuff, so I'm afraid I'll lose it again, and I forgot to get it. Our scripture this morning is found in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 7 through 13. I saw in the bulletin that it was right. I usually go by my text, and for some reason I picked up 9 instead of 3. And then when I got to the end in the first service, I don't know whether the first service people were there. There is no verse 19 in 2 Timothy chapter 1. So I was adding a verse, and there is a verse in the Bible about that in Revelation, right? You know, don't add to or take away from. But it's first, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 7 through 13. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which were given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. We all have our terrors and fears. They are unique to us, but sometimes they take on similarities. Will I be able to pay all these bills? How many cavities will the dentist find this checkup? How much will it hurt? And I have a female dentist as well as a male dentist, so I said she fills them. What if I flunk next week's test? Am I going to lose my job? Is this investment going to pay off? Thank you, Mark. Is this investment going to pay off or cost me my savings? Are my children going to turn out all right? Uncertainty, pressure, they add up to anxiety. Anxiety, the great plague of our generation. Anxiety snatches away happiness like a pickpocket at a county fair. Anxiety in primitive humans was surely a God-given glandular reaction to prepare them for fight or flight. The physiological reactions that once enable humans to run from danger or fight with fury now create problems for them. Since it is not appropriate in most social situations to fight physically or run away, anxiety becomes a confusing and paralyzing reaction. The collision of a personal desire with a natural fear expresses the essence of most of our anxiety. My desire to pass a course collides with my fear of failing the final exam. My desire to have my tooth filled confronts my fear 
of the dentist drill. Anxiety then is the natural result and manifestation of fear. Fear leads to anxiety. This means that if you can understand and resolve your fears, you can overcome the anguish and trauma of chronic anxiety. I believe that the simple but profound truths that God has shared with us in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 can help you deal victoriously with fear. The verse states very concisely, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. On account of his confidence in Timothy's inheritance of faith and his own solid faith, Paul reminds Timothy to rekindle the gift of God that is within him through the laying on of hands. The Apostle Paul plays on the analogy of fire with the suggestion that the embers need constant stirring. We constantly need to be reminded that we are not a people of fear because of our relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. These words are easy to speak but very difficult to apply to the human condition. I believe it takes faith conditioning in order to move from the point of fear that leads to so much anxiety in people's lives. I see very clearly in our society today that anxiety runs rampant. People are afraid. And they turn to all kinds of sources to alleviate those fears. They may not know they're afraid. They may not feel as though they're afraid. But the byproduct of fear is anxiety. And anxiety paralyzes us and keeps us from being the people that God would have us to be. Paul overcame his anxiety when he surrendered himself totally to the will of God. He recognized that whatever situation he found himself in, it did not matter as long as he held close to Christ. The first thing we see in this passage of Scripture, I believe, is that God does not want us to be afraid. The fears that plague your life are not coming to you because God wants you to have them. He does not place a fearful, trembling spirit in us. His will is to fill His children with a victorious spirit that comes as a byproduct of the relationship we have with Him. But you are not the only person in the world who has had the tendency to be afraid and intimidated. The Bible is full of examples of people who made mistakes, lost precious opportunities, and displeased God because of their fear. It is a textbook case all throughout the scripture of people who were paralyzed by their fears that kept them from doing what God would require of them. Have you ever had to paint a second or third story of a house or climb a ladder to accomplish a task? Very few people have not climbed a ladder at some time in their life. You get about halfway up And I've done this before. I used to have to clean the gutters at my house in Madison Heights. And I'm so glad that the trees behind me are not as tall as my house now, so I don't have that problem. But I would climb the ladder to accomplish the task. And and, and this would happen to me. You get about halfway up that double or triple extension ladder, and it begins to bend and bounce with your every movement. It's an engineering principle, but I don't like it. Then you start wondering about the ladder and its footing and where you will end up when it crashes to the earth so far below you and what will they say at your memorial service. 
So in fear and terror, you stop where you are and cling to the ladder, neither looking up nor looking down, but paralyzed by your fear. Eventually realize you've got to go one way or the other. And the task has to be completed. You must paint the house and that you can't reach it from where you are is evident. So mustering up all your courage and recalling that you have never seen such a ladder fall over. You may have heard about it, but you haven't seen it. You conquer the next rung and inch by inch you, you, weigh, you make your way up to the next rung and then the next. And finally you reach the top of the ladder and when you get there you cling to it for life. Now that you've arrived, though, you have to ask yourself how you can take one hand off the ladder to use the paintbrush and not plummet to the earth below and wonder what they'll say at your memorial service. But you do. You begin. And after a bit of scraping, the wood soaks up the paint. You whistle and admire the fine job you're doing, and soon the terror is forgotten. And you've learned an important lesson. No matter what high responsibility you take on, it's scary, very scary, until you start working. You see, that's how Paul overcame his fears and his anxiety. He started working for the Lord, and he saw that whatever circumstance he found himself in, the Lord was with him, whether it was in prison or whether it was free, whether he was about to be uh, beaten, whether he was about to be whipped, whatever the situation may be, Paul understood that with Christ... His fears did not matter. And then we see these cases in Scripture of people who were paralyzed by fear. In Matthew chapter 2, we find the familiar account of the man who gave three servants five talents, two talents, and one talent respectively to manage during his absence. Returning, he found that two servants had invested and doubled their money, but the servant with one talent still had only one. When asked to explain his failure, the servant answered, Master, I know that you are a hard man, and I was afraid of you. The servant was scolded and punished because he had allowed his anxiety to keep him from being faithful and useful to his Lord. What did he say? I was afraid of you. In John chapter 20, we read that the apostles were shocked and frightened because of the crucifixion of Christ. And they huddled together, hidden in a secret room with the doors tightly locked, Why were they so anxious? Because John says they were afraid of the Jews harming or killing them. They were afraid of the Jews. In Luke chapter 10 verse 38 we read of Jesus' visit to the home of Mary and Martha. Before dinner Mary sat at the feet of Jesus to hear what he had to say and enjoy his presence. Martha was rushing around preparing the meal, straightening the house and being generally burdened with all that needed to be done. Finally, in exasperation, she said, Lord, doesn't it matter to you that I'm working myself to death while Mary sits there loafing? Jesus said to her, Martha, you get too upset and anxious over things that aren't that important. You are wrong to be so worked up. Mary has been much wiser in her use of this time we have together. Where did Martha go wrong? What caused her to deserve the rebuke from Jesus? Her problem was anxiety. She was being driven 
by fear, being a conscientious hostess. She was afraid Jesus or his disciples would think the house wasn't tidy enough or that they wouldn't like the food she had prepared. Her ill-founded fear of what people would think or say about her caused her to miss the blessing of Christ's presence in her life. And the same thing can happen to us. We can miss the blessings of Christ in our life by being too concerned about what other people think, what other people think about us. We live that way on a daily basis. We are concerned with what people think about us. We've given those examples before in other sermons. There was a certain standard you had in mind this morning when you got up and got ready to come to church. And if you came not fulfilling that standard, the whole thing, whole time you were here, you would wonder how people were judging you about what you were wearing. We do that. We can't help ourselves. That's just the way we're programmed. It does matter what other people think to us. But what we must come to terms with is if that stands in the way of our walk with the Lord, then we must rethink what we think about what other people think about us. I can't say that again. So we have those three examples from Scripture where fear and anxiety paralyzed. But God has given us His Spirit to overcome our fears. Those who know God personally through placing their faith in Jesus Christ have received the Spirit of God to dwell within them. 2 Timothy 1.7 tells us to show that His presence is God's answer to the Christian's fear. He is the Spirit of power, the Spirit of love, and the Spirit of self-control. So let's look at them. First, the spirit of power. One of the fears that plagues people is the fear of inadequacy. The fear that they will not meet certain challenges or solve certain problems. We fear the possibility of failure and the humiliation of personal inadequacy. In relation to this type of fear, God has given us His Spirit, the Spirit of power. The conferring of the Spirit should eliminate excessive fear. The connecting of the Spirit with power inherited from the Old Testament is frequent in the New Testament. There are two English words that are commonly translated by the English word power. One means the power of authority, such as kingly or political power. The other means the power of ability, such as the power to lift a weight or run a race. The latter is the word dunamis, used in 2 Timothy 1.7, and it means that God's Spirit gives us ability, competency, adequacy. As Christians, then, we need not suffer anxiety because of fears of inadequacy. God has given us His Spirit to become our adequacy in every situation. In all honesty, I can say I am inadequate but the spirit of power within me is adequate to equip me for doing everything good that God wants me to do. Now you think about that. The power that we have within us is greater than the power that's in the world. But we don't live that way. We don't live that way with that kind of power. We allow ourselves to become paralyzed because we do what we always do, and that is we depend on ourselves to accomplish the task that God has called us to do that He will give us the power to accomplish. Whenever we set out on our own, we get in trouble. And whenever we set out on our own, we are inadequate. But God's power makes us adequate for the task that is at hand. 
The second thing we see is the spirit of love. Many of our anxieties relate to our relationships with people. We fear being abandoned or being betrayed by friends. We fear conflict and tension in our social situations. Responding to these fears, God has given us His spirit of love because love is the key to maintaining and nurturing these relationships. If I truly love a person, I do not feel insecure in our relationship and I'm prepared to accept that person regardless of how he or she treats me. You see? This agape love, this self-giving, sacrificial love is not an easy way of life for us. But as Christians, we have God's Spirit available to love others through us. That's hard to do, but allow God to love those who are unlovable through you. Jesus did just that, didn't he? Jesus showed us time and time again that he would love in the midst of those who hate it. He even said on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This fear-exercising power of love is clearly set forth in 1 John 4, 18, where we read, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. This is the truth that helps free us from anxiety about relationships with people. We must learn to let God's Spirit enable us to love actively and positively those whom we would otherwise fear or distrust. In Paul's writing, love is the chief spiritual gift. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, when he said, There are three, right? Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. We cannot come overcome our anxieties in our relationships with other people until we allow God to love through us. Many times we are so concerned about being offensive to people that we fail to recognize that there are truths that we must share. It reminds me, and this is run through my head, so I'll just tell you. It reminds me of two women I knew years ago, sisters. They both had identical coats. And one put on the other's coat, and then so they had the opposite coats on. The one went on and on about how filthy her coat was and how good her sisters looked. Unbeknownst to her, she was wearing her sister's coat. You see how we try to cover up for so many things? There was no need to even do that. Don't concern yourself with those kinds of things. Appearances in the name of Jesus Christ are not what's important. Loving people and allowing them to see the love of Christ in you is far more important than any self-deprecating thing that we can do to ourselves to make others look good. And then we see the third thing is the spirit as is uh, translated in NIV of self-control. Sometimes you may be anxious because you fear yourself. You've heard people say, well, I don't know what I might do. You think you're going to make a fool of yourself in public. You fear that your judgment will be faulty, that you will make a foolish decision. You fear that you will lack the necessary discipline in a given situation to do the right thing. Self-control conveys the idea of strength in the face of persecution. According to Hebrews 13.23, Timothy may have needed it when he suffered imprisonment. In view of the spiritual strength at his disposal, Paul exhorts his young aide not to be ashamed of testifying to our Lord. Neither must Timothy be ashamed of Paul as others had. He is Christ's prisoner. Now hear this. 
Paul understood that he was a prisoner because of Christ, not because of Caesar. He had so, so sold out to Jesus Christ that he understood that his imprisonment was for the advancement of the gospel. That's a hard place to get to. Because personal feelings of fear and anxiety certainly can creep in when you find yourself confined as Paul was confined. But he made it very clear to Timothy that he was not in prison because of Caesar. He was in prison because of Christ. Following Paul's example, then Timothy is to take your share of suffering for the gospel and the power of God. The gospel in itself is a call to share Christ's cross. We see very clearly what Paul said to Timothy about what he believed. I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Paul found his peace, his centeredness in his relationship to Jesus Christ and we can do the same thing if we work at it. Totally relevant to this kind of anxiety is Paul's reminder that God has given his children the spirit of a sound mind or as the NIV puts it, a spirit of self-control. If you have the Holy Spirit of God living in you, you can trust yourself. You can feel confident about yourself and comfortable with yourself. God offers you help for keeping your life from swerving out of control. His Spirit serves as a guardrail if you accept His guidance for your life. Following Jesus Christ will bring peace to your life. John said it when he talked about the 23rd Psalm, didn't he? I'll lead you through the green pastures and beside the still waters. But if we read on, we know also that he says that he is there when we are in the valley of the shadow of death. And what does it say? I will fear no evil. Fear leads to anxiety. When you experience anxiety, ask yourself, what is it that I'm afraid of right now? If you can identify the specific fear that lies behind your uneasiness, you can begin to deal with it. Anxiety is usually a sort of general nebulous feeling, but with some thought we can often come to a conscious understanding of the fear that lies below the surface. We know that the society and world in which we live eggs on, eggs on our fears and our anxieties because there's profit to be made from our fears and our anxieties. I was telling them in the first service that when we were visiting my in-laws in Franklin, Tennessee, there was a commercial that came on of a man sitting in a chair next to a woman who was interviewing him, and it was about getting your ADT system for your home, you know, the uh, alarm system. And I sat there and watched for him, and I said, well, that's the same guy that they talked to in Richmond. I thought he was local, you know, and he was telling us how bad it was around here. But evidently, they've marketed this same commercial all over the country with this one man. And you know the one it is. He said, now call within the next ever so many minutes, or, and we'll give you this free and that free, and, and on and on and on, and you'll be safe from now through all eternity. You see, we, we do that. The first cell phone I ever owned, I had got twenty over 20 years ago, if you can believe that. They've been around that long. And I think I paid $15 a month for it. I hate to tell you what I pay now. 
but $15 a month for that phone. And all it had on it was just enough minutes to call somebody if you had an emergency. And you made it very clear. You kept it in a certain place and you said, now, this is for emergency only. And now we have been convinced that if we're not completely connected all of the time, that something's going to happen in the world and we're not going to be able to fix it. And before that, it didn't matter, did it? You just fixed it when you got to it. I'm still fascinated with the fact I can go to a football game in Blacksburg, sit there with 66,000 people and get a text message and ruin the whole game for me. And I can't do a thing about it. The world plays on our fears. And Jesus helps us overcome our fears. Everything we see in print and in the media of any kind, source or whatever, somehow, some way, has the tendency to make us afraid. And in our hearts and in our minds, we know that the Spirit of God within us can overcome whatever comes our way now and throughout eternity. And yet we live in fear because someone else dictates to us what we should be afraid of. And we stay anxious. A doctor had to give a painful shot to a four-year-old girl. When she learned what the doctor was about to do, her face showed her anxiety and her body tensed. As the doctor picked up what looked to the little girl to be a needle large enough to put an elephant down, she turned her eyes to her father who then took her hand and fixed his eyes on hers. An expression of confidence and calmness came on her face. She knew she was not alone and found comfort not in her father's spoken answer, but in his presence with her in her time of trial. You need not fear inadequacy. Just let God make you adequate for relationships with people. Let God love through you. You need not fear yourself. Let his spirit of self-control make your judgment sound and your life disciplined. The apostle deals with anxiety also in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, where he exhorts us, Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then let's revisit the last verse of the 23rd Psalm. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me when? All the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Walk in the will of God. Understand that we are human. And the human condition gives us all kinds of problems. But the one who can bring peace to our lives did so when he died on the cross to save us.
and who rose again and is at the right hand of the Father advocating for those He loves, which is you and me. Shall we pray? Father, anxiety is so difficult for so many. Fear is very real in our lives. But help us, Father, to claim the promises that Paul shared with Timothy and with us through the inspired hand. Help us, Father, to give ourselves to you so that we can have the spirit of power and of love and of self-control so that we might walk each day in that peace that passes all of our understandings that comes to us through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Our hymn of invitation is number 62. All the way my Savior leads me. If we follow him, he will lead us. The decision is ours. Do we follow ourselves that leads to fear and then anxiety? Or do we follow the Lord who walks with us each day? The invitation is open to anyone who would unite with this fellowship of believers, to anyone who would come to know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Whatever your desires, we stand and sing hymn number 62.
Thank you for making this service a part of your day today. If you're visiting with us, we're delighted to have you as well. Memorial Day weekend, I saw on Facebook where all our people are. They're at the beach and at the river and uh, here and there and everywhere. And I knew we were always down on Memorial Day uh, Sunday, but this is a good crowd. We had 77 in the first service, so uh, I'm glad that you came though and made this service a part of your day today. Let me bring you up to date on our roof, just a little bit of information on that. Uh, we still don't have our bid, and that's the reason we haven't started publishing how much money we have received. We're getting ready to do that. We should have the bid, uh, Cotton tells me, by the end of next week. Uh, since we had the business meeting where we started with $22,000 just earmarked for the roof, money that had come in for the roof, we have been able to collect almost $72,000 in total with that twenty-two. So seventy-two. Uh, is where we are. What I hope to be able to do and what the stewardship team wants to be able to do is to show you the gap that will have to be closed when we know what actually the bid will be because we don't know yet. We have an idea, but that's just an idea. It's not finalized. It's not uh, completely accurate. So uh, to this point, we have raised seventy, almost $72,000. And I know there's more than that. It comes in every week. But as of the last time I was told anything, that's what it was. So I wanted to make you aware of that and let you know that as this develops, you will see more about it in writing, and uh, we'll let you know exactly what it will take to close that gap because the more we're able to close the gap between what we're going to apply to it and what it actually costs is the less money we would have to borrow. So just wanted to make you aware of that this morning. Um, so share that with your friends who aren't here today so that they will know uh, as well. Remember, John told you that the office is closed tomorrow. That doesn't mean if you have a need that you can't get me. You have my cell phone, most of you. If you don't, call somebody, because if you don't have it, they probably do. So uh, just keep that in mind uh, as we go today. Let's bow for a benediction. Gracious Lord, as we depart on this day that you've given to us, we are grateful that we do not have the spirit of fear in our lives because we have the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And we know, Father, that Paul has told us if God is for us, who can be against us? And we know, Father, that we have a message to share with a world that is in need of the message that we have of peace that comes through repentance in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you for each person who has come today. Bless us as we depart. In the name of Jesus, amen.